0: On October 8th, 2014, a mysterious video is uploaded to YouTube. The caption reads, UFO Area 51, a documentary by Boyd Bushman. The opening shot fades in to show a lone figure sitting in his chair looking down at the floor. The face that appears is the eponymous Bushman, a 78-year-old man whose health is clearly fading him. Smartly dressed in a shirt and blazer, striped tie knotted in place, He's made an effort for this video. It is, after all, his deathbed confession. Bushman, as it turns out, has been dead for two months by the time his documentary goes live. In contrast to his immaculate appearance, Bushman's surroundings are messy. The desk at which he sits is covered in piles of paper and photos. Bushman clears his throat and starts to tell his tale he introduces himself as a senior scientist from Lockheed Martin, where he specializes in weapons and propulsion systems. He's quick to mention the large number of patents he still holds from his time there. Bushman comes across as something of an expert in his field. A trusted member of a tight-knit circle, who, over the years, has had access to highly classified government projects. Lockheed Martin isn't just any company— they're one of the largest defense contractors in the world. His background established, Bushman goes on to describe how, in the course of his work, he's come across some incredible discoveries, not least of which is the existence of extraterrestrial life. He gives an explosive account of what he claims to have seen and heard. Everything from describing the alien life forms to their incredible technology. Soon after Bushman's posthumous video is published, it goes viral. Millions of people stare at their screens questioning if what they're watching could possibly be real. Is this the proof that conspiracy theorists have been waiting for? Confirmation that life does truly exist beyond our planet? But while many ufologists rejoice, Internet skeptics began picking Bushman's claims apart. For starters, while he'd certainly spent 13 years at Lockheed, he was no longer an employee at the time of his confession. In fact, he had been forced out years earlier in a bitter dispute over a series of public interviews he'd given about his work. It begs the question, how much of what he says has any substance? And how much could just be a parting shot from a disgruntled ex-employee? At the moment of death, people often have an overwhelming need to get their biggest secret off their chests. From murder, fake identities, illicit affairs, and even government cover-ups, this show dives deep into the world's most explosive deathbed confessions. This is the story of Boyd Bushman, of the words he spoke shortly before he died. Alleged firsthand accounts of encounters with technology and life forms not from this planet— how the government and U.S. military have allegedly exploited this knowledge for years, and how far men like Bushman claim those in power will go to keep the truth from getting out. I'm Estefania Hagman, and this is Deathbed Confessions. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Boyd Bushman is born in Low, Arizona on July 20th, 1936. From a young age, he has an avid interest in science, which his mother actively encourages. Those close to him say he has an unusually curious mind always looking for a deeper level of understanding of anything and everything. After graduating from Snowflake Union High School, he goes on to double major in mathematics and physics at Brigham University. With his impressive qualifications upon graduating, the young Bushman is inundated with job offers. Right from the early stages of his career, he works with some of the largest defense contractors in the country, if not the world. Between 1963 and 1966, Bushman is employed by General Dynamics as part of the team that create the Stinger missile, one of the deadliest surface-to-air weapons of its time, capable of shooting planes out of the sky. His next project is to develop and produce night vision image intensifier systems that allow military personnel to operate under cover of darkness. In 1986, Bushman joins Lockheed Martin as a senior scientist. He works on everything from weapon systems to propulsion and power for aircrafts. And he's really good at his job. He files patents for all of his impressive inventions. But based on the terms of his contract, he doesn't own them. All of his greatest ideas are the property of Lockheed Martin, and there's nothing he can do about it. This would likely eat away at any creator, but there are some perks to look forward to. If his creations are ever sold or licensed, he stands to pocket a good chunk of change. But that's only if everyone plays by the rules and does their part. The problem is that whenever money is involved, professional scruples often go out the window. Any relationship has the potential to turn sour. And in 1998, after 13 years of loyal service, Bushman finds out just how bad that can get. In the summer of 1998, Joe Stout, the head of Lockheed's Public Relations Department, gets in touch with Bushman. They need him to do an interview with the editor of Jane's Defense Weekly, a well-respected magazine that specializes in military and security-related content. Bushman obliges, and he's approached for a second interview in April 1999. What he doesn't know at the time is that both the interviews go against guidelines set out by the Department of Defense, or DOD for short. With Lockheed being a key contractor, they have to stick to certain rules set out by the DOD. These are designed to ensure any press-related activity doesn't compromise the secrecy that surrounds Lockheed's work. It seems nobody flagged this to Bushman, and in December that year, he's the one on the receiving end of a DOD backlash. Before it's published, someone in the DOD gets their hands on a draft of the article, and they're not happy about the content. Bushman is told that they are restricting his access to classified government material. The implications for him are huge. Without this, he can't do even the most basic elements of his job. Bushman appeals to Lockheed for help. After all, they're the ones who have gotten him into this mess. They told him to give the interviews. But for reasons his employers don't make public, Lockheed doesn't support him. Worse is yet to come when Bushman is informed of plans to make him redundant at age 64. He's between a rock and a hard place, desperate to fight for the job he loves, but feeling betrayed by his employer. In the end, it's a battle he can't win, and Bushman reluctantly agrees to take early retirement. Effective from May 1st, 2000, he's unemployed, most likely linked to his loss of clearance. But something about the way he's been forced out sticks in Bushman's throat, and he decides to take the fight into the public arena. On April 27th, 2001, a now 65-year-old Bushman files a civil suit in Tarrant County, Texas. In it, he levels a number of allegations against his former employer, amongst them that Lockheed handled the interview leading to his dismissal in a negligent way. He also claims that despite Lockheed selling on or licensing a number of technologies developed by him, he has received nowhere near the payment he should have been due. He includes in his petition an instance in 1996 where Lockheed learned that one of Bushman's patents was being infringed by a competitor. Lockheed's own legal team had threatened litigation, citing damages as high as $100 million. They briefed Bushman at the time, but didn't go ahead with the case. He has no idea whether or not any settlement was ever reached. If it had, his contract entitled him to around 20% of any compensation, but Bushman didn't see a penny. Lockheed fights back with an army of lawyers, looking to have the case thrown out on various technicalities. The court agrees in part with Bushman the judge allows him to amend his petition to close the loopholes that Lockheed wants to use to have his claims thrown out of court. Intriguingly, though, this is the last mention on the public record of the matter. Could Bushman have backed Lockheed into enough of a corner that they chose to settle rather than risk open court? In front of a jury, Bushman might have revealed more than they're comfortable with about the nature of his work. Whatever the outcome, Bushman, now 65, is still in a tough situation. He struggles to find opportunities in the same field without the blessing of security clearance. And it seems unlikely he'll ever get it back. So close to retirement age, you might think this is the end of the road for Boyd Bushman, that he'll drift off quietly into the sunset. You'd be wrong. In 2007, 71-year-old Bushman gets another chance to speak his mind. He's approached for an interview by a man named David Sarita who seems to know about Bushman's past work with Lockheed, though it's not clear how. Sarita started out as an actor and musician, but recently has developed interests that are more eclectic in nature, especially all things UFO-related. Sarita even claims to have seen a UFO himself as a child. In the interview... Bushman introduces himself and lists his credentials, and then launches straight in by mentioning Area 51. Situated 150 miles north of Las Vegas, Area 51 has been a focal point for conspiracy theorists for decades. The site dates back to 1955, when the CIA established the Groom Lake Test Facility. Many of the prevailing conspiracies about UFOs link Area 51 to another infamous location, Roswell. On July 8, 1947, in the town of Roswell, New Mexico, the Air Force made a sensational claim on the front page of the Roswell Daily Record. They said that they had captured a flying saucer that had crashed on a nearby ranch. A mere 24 hours later though, they did a spectacular U-turn, saying that what they had actually found was debris from a weather balloon. The notion of a cover-up has provided fuel for conspiracy theorists' fires ever since. Many believe that the government changed the story so that they could transport the wreckage at a later stage to Area 51 without the scrutiny of the world and see what could be learned from it. There have even been claims that they recovered the bodies of extraterrestrial beings who had piloted the craft. It's understandable then, that when someone like Boyd Bushman opens up about anything to do with the facility, that people will sit up and take notice. Bushman banks on this. For over a decade, he was privy to some of the government's biggest secrets, and he's finally ready to share them with the world. It's unclear what made him decide to speak now. Could it be as simple as bearing a grudge against the industry he dedicated his life to? One that cut him loose for something he feels wasn't his fault? Whatever his motives, He answers Sarita's questions without any attempt to deflect or evade. Sarita starts by asking Bushman if he believes UFO sightings are in fact just advanced U.S. aircrafts being tested. Bushman agrees that most are probably exactly that, but he's quick to hint at much more than just mistaken crafts. Area 51 is where the majority of things that we call the Black programs were developed, says Bushman. He recalls some of the tests they carried out there, how not all of the results stacked up with prevailing scientific theory at the time. He doesn't elaborate as to what those results were, but says that he was told to keep them quiet. Most of the discussion that follows centers on Bushman's theories about anti-gravity research. He claims some of his work proved that it was possible to limit the effects of gravity on a falling object. The implication being that any aircraft using such technology wouldn't have to work as hard to stay in the sky and use less fuel. The potential military applications of this would be huge. Sarita asks him next whether anyone at Lockheed has reverse-engineered this technology from extraterrestrial crafts. Bushman is a little more guarded in his answers. What he does share, though, are schematic diagrams for a craft that looks like a flying saucer when pressed for how old the drawings are, he says they date back at least 30 to 40 years. He doesn't go into any more detail about what they might be or how he came across them. Sarita shares the interview footage online. But despite Bushman's credibility as a former scientist at Lockheed, the video doesn't make huge waves in anything other than conspiracy theorist circles. With the story getting no real traction in the media, Bushman fades from the public eye in the years that follow. But this is far from his last hurrah. Days before his death in 2014, Bushman will lay it all out in a series of stunning claims. And if even part of what he's saying is true, it could be the confirmation that UFO enthusiasts have been waiting a lifetime to hear. You tell yourself it's only a movie. None of this could ever happen to you.
1: You feel relieved until you discover what you're watching is based on actual events.
0: Hi listeners, it's Vanessa and Greg from the Spotify original from ParCast Serial Killers. In our Halloween special, Real Horror, we're spotlighting three of the most iconic horror films of all time and telling the terrifying true stories that inspired them.
1: Recovering the real influences behind characters like Ghostface from the 90s mega-hit Scream, Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill from the Oscar-winning thriller The Silence of the Lambs, and Leatherface from the 70s cult classic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Enjoy Real Horror, the serial killer's three-part Halloween special. Listen to all three episodes the final week of October, free and only on Spotify. ¶¶ It's August 2014. A 78-year-old Boyd Bushman sits next to a cluttered desk and begins filming his deathbed confession. A tale just as confusing as it is gripping. Filled with twists and turns that make his story altogether hard to believe, let alone follow. The broad strokes of what he says goes something like this. Bushman begins by introducing himself as a senior scientist at Lockheed Martin. Then, he launches right into an account of a meeting that allegedly happened around 13 years ago with a person who he claims manages a number of programs at Area 51. He doesn't give a name, but says that he has been in regular contact with them for many years. Bushman says that his mysterious contact updates him as often as they can on any developments within Area 51. He adds that he has top-secret clearance himself that he chooses not to use. This is in direct contradiction with his petition to court 13 years ago, but Bushman doesn't comment on that today. Despite the access he claims to have had to Area 51, most of what comes next is secondhand information from his alleged friend on the inside. Nevertheless, he goes on as if he's the preeminent voice on the matter. He believes information about Area 51 should be made public, saying that it should be lifted up from what he calls the dark reaches of the site. Bushman confirms that nothing he says will be theory or assumption. It'll all be backed up by data, direct from his anonymous sources. Finished with his preamble, he pulls out a couple of pictures, printed on paper rather than photo stock. The quality of the images isn't great, but Bushman is adamant they show five unidentified flying objects above the Tucson Mountains a few years back an unnamed friend of Bushman's had been nearby at the time and had taken the pictures. He drops these back to his desk and picks up a stack of smaller photos. These, he claims, have been given to him by his contacts in Area 51 over the past 13 years. He holds them up to the camera with a steady hand. Bushman says these two are pictures of a UFO, although the image is difficult to make out. The craft he describes is 38 feet in diameter. These ships are so drastically different from any normal craft that he says they don't need runways. Instead, they can descend vertically down a shaft inside Area 51. Initially, he seems to be skirting around who pilots these mysterious ships. Soon, however, he confirms that it is, indeed, aliens. Their home planet is Quintonia, he says, as casually as if he's talking about a town someone grew up in. Bushman claims their planet is 68 light years from Earth. Using human technology, this journey would take 68,000 years, but the aliens' ships need just 45 minutes. Whether this information came from his source or directly from an inhabitant of Quintonia, Bushman doesn't say. Next, Bushman fulfills every UFO hunter's dream by producing pictures of the strange alien creatures. They're approximately four and a half to five feet tall, he says as he flips over the first in his stack. The image shows a small humanoid-like being with narrow jet-black eyes and an oversized head. It bears a striking resemblance to the aliens that have appeared in films and comics. According to Bushman, some of them are over 230 years old. In spite of how strange they look, The aliens share some physical similarities with humans. They have five fingers, five toes, and two eyes. But there are a number of differences between the two species. For example, the aliens have three backbones and three sets of ribs. Bushman says he's been told that as many as 18 of these beings operate within the facility at Area 51. He recalls asking how they communicate. His source explained how they use telepathy and that humans would hear the answers to any questions inside their head spoken in their own voice. When he pushed his contact for more information, they apparently told Bushman that the aliens fall into two groups. He uses the analogy of a ranch, calling them rustlers and wranglers, the latter being supposedly the more friendly towards humans. Bushman claims that humans work alongside these alien beings 24 hours a day, studying and learning from each other. He places his pile of pictures face down, and his monologue veers off in a different direction. He recounts a story that an insider at Area 51 once told him. Supposedly, in 1947, a Navy test pilot claimed to have seen an unexplained blip show up on radar over New Mexico. After conferring with his superiors, he was dispatched to check it out. When he reached the location, he radioed back asking whether there were any other authorized aircraft in the area. The answer came back, no. He changed tack, asking for authority to engage and shoot the craft down. His commanding officer questioned it, but the pilot simply said that no plane in the U.S. Air Force should be able to outrun his. The speed of the craft meant that it couldn't possibly be one of theirs. Permission was granted and the pilot opened fire, shooting the unidentified craft down. He landed close by to investigate, and what he saw confused him. He stooped to look inside the craft and found that the floor was made of some strange spongy material. The pilot also noted that once he was inside, the walls became entirely transparent. His next thought is for the crew and how they had fared in the crash. Sadly for them, when the pilot checked, all three occupants of the craft were dead. He didn't describe them in detail, but the inference is clear. They were not human. Once he's finished the story about the pilot, Bushman goes on to share why he has chosen now to speak out. He says that the reason he is going public is to stop America falling behind the Russians and Chinese when it came to military technology. He does, however, allege that there's an element of cooperation from both of those countries in the work carried out at Area 51. On a more somber note, Bushman says that to his knowledge, a total of 39 US personnel have lost their lives working on projects at the top secret base. One incident alone that he claims happened a year and a half earlier supposedly ended with 19 fatalities. As for his own contribution to Area 51, Bushman claims to have been given pieces of UFOs while working at Lockheed. He would then take these back to his own labs to work on reverse engineering them, allowing Lockheed to replicate the alien technology. He talks through one experiment he did using three items that allegedly came from a UFO in one picture, the items in a quartz crystal are on a scale that shows a weight of 100 grams. In a second picture, only the crystal remains, and the weight now registers at 600 grams. The inference here is that the so-called alien items had an anti-gravity style effect. Exactly what these gravity-defying objects are remains a mystery, as the picture quality is too poor to make them out. Bushman continues on like this for several more minutes, showing image after image of aliens and their crafts and talking through how each of them reinforced the revelations he has just made. Then, the video fades to black. This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Bushman sadly passes away on August 7th. Two months later, on October 8th, 2014, the video appears online. It's not clear exactly who posts it, although many believe it's a man called Mark Chapman. Chapman had been in the room with Bushman back in August, operating the camera. Once it's online, the video takes on a life of its own, going viral on YouTube. Over a million people view it. Bushman's stories become a point of heated discussion online. At the very least, he himself comes across as believing every word he says. But there are those who doubt his accounts and seek to discredit him by poking holes in his claims. A focal point of the rebuttals that surface center around the pictures he shared of an alien life form. Posts appear on sites like Reddit claiming that the so-called alien is nothing more than a toy a website called Snopes.com that specializes in proving or disproving various stories, claims it's just a plastic doll available from Walmart. They post pictures of it that look identical to the aliens in Bushman's photos. Small and gray skin, head too large for its body, and large jet black eyes. The verdict from Snopes is unanimous. Based on the evidence they have, they believe Bushman's claims are false. Not only do they question the pictures of the aliens, but they pick apart the very nature of the confession itself. Most of what Bushman says is not his own personal experience. It's a retelling of someone else's story. Because he chooses to withhold names, there's no way of verifying any of it. The Snopes article finishes by asking why, if Bushman had been working on such groundbreaking projects like anti-gravity devices, would he not talk specifics of how it works? Perhaps show diagrams or plans of how to build such machines rather than show a few blurry photos? Despite the absence of any corroboration, there are those who still believe Bushman's deathbed confession. They point out that a man of Bushman's standing has everything to lose and nothing to gain by lying. On the flip side though, he was an old man when he died, and it wouldn't be the first time that age has blurred memories. Nigel Watson, author of the Haynes UFO Investigations Manual, is asked by British newspaper, The Daily Mail, for his view on Bushman's revelations. We must be wary of the fact that over long periods, memories fade, Watson says. And people can use vague recollections to reconstruct events into a story they prefer to believe or pleases their audience. Could it be that Bushman's deathbed confession was just that, the fanciful tales of an old man near the end of his life? We shouldn't forget that he and Lockheed didn't part on good terms. Maybe this was Bushman having the last word. It could be nothing more than a dig at his former employers, just his way of trying to put them under an intense level of scrutiny. Whatever the truth behind Bushman's account, Neither Lockheed Martin or the US military has commented publicly on the video since it was released. The reality is that the story is bigger than just one man. UFOs and the tales that surround them are a deeply ingrained part of American culture. More recently, the US government appears to be making an effort to dispel the notion that they're hiding proof of extraterrestrial life. In 2021, Congress requested a report from the Pentagon on unidentified aerial encounters. The Director of National Intelligence produced a dossier that detailed a total of 144 incidents captured by military personnel dating back to 2004. It was the first congressional hearing on UFOs in 50 years. The Pentagon even released two declassified videos that show mysterious objects. One clip was taken from a Navy cockpit in a training area and shows a spherical object floating by the aircraft. While much of the data was inconclusive, the Pentagon's top intelligence official, Ronald Moultrie, made a surprising statement. There are elements of our government engaged in looking for extraterrestrial life, said Moultrie. Our goal is not to potentially cover up something. It's to understand what's maybe out there his words represent a dramatic shift. If the government continues to let its guard down, perhaps they'll reveal that Boyd Bushman's dying words weren't as outlandish as they appear. Only time will tell. Next week on Deathbed Confessions, we meet Henry Alexander, an ex-Ku-Klux Klansman with a guilty past. In April 1957, two fishermen found a dead body floating along the Alabama River. The body belonged to a 24-year-old Black man, Willie Edwards. Although many in the town suspected his death was the handiwork of the Klan, police were too afraid to open an investigation. His name slipped into oblivion. However, in 1992, Over 30 years since the death of Willie Edwards, an ex-Klansman made a shocking confession. When he was just weeks away from dying, he told his wife what really happened in Alabama's capital all those years ago. Could his final words reopen the unsolved case of Willie Edwards' murder? Find out next week on Deathbed Confessions. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from ParCast, produced in partnership with Noiser. Executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes. Developed by Julian Boireau for ParCast. Series produced by Addison Nugent. Written by Rob Scrag. Supervising editor Jane O. Sound design by Matias Torresolé. Sound supervisor Tom Pink. Edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer. Mix master by Cody Reynolds-Shaw. Music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley.